Thank you, Prue. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be able to continue the, uh, the, the, the series that we've been doing in the book of Proverbs. I hope you've been enjoying what God's word has to say. This is a long chapter that, uh, that Prue read. I'm not going to try preaching from all of it this morning. In fact, I'm just going to focus on just a few verses. And in general, I want to give some practical advice because I don't think we've done this before. Some practical advice about what lockdown and how we should treat um, things like the current pandemic and the issues, the practical issues that it raises for us. They've been on my mind and I thought um, it was appropriate to share them with you this morning. Now, the chapter of the book of Proverbs that we're studying today asks us to pursue wisdom, not just from God's word, but also, interestingly enough, from God's world. Now, let me explain that in a little bit more detail before you tear me off the pulpit for preaching heresy. Friends, the early chapters of the book of Proverbs quite clearly say that we should not only listen to the word of God, but in fact, write it in our hearts, hang it round our throats. And it also says that the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And we understand that the words that come from God's mouth are recorded in the Bible. And the Bible is the chief means by which we receive God's perfect word. But today, God's word will tell us to go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise in verse 6. Now, by the way, I think we might understand that verse a little bit better if we substitute a good old Aussie word bludger for the old-fashioned word sluggard. So it would read for us, go to the ant, O bludger, consider her ways and be wise. Obtaining wisdom from God's world does not compromise in any way what we believe about the importance and the inerrancy of the Bible. The Bible is still the only place where we can get clear, unambiguous and unchanging information about how we can be saved and the problems that are created by our sin. The Bible is the only place where we can receive a sound understanding of the work, life and teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and about the future of the world to come. But as it does today, the Bible sometimes tells us to learn from the wisdom of our own sanctified observation and experience. Now, this is not going to be as reliable as the Bible, but the Bible tells us that it's helpful just the same. There are a lot of decisions that we have to make in life where we won't get a direct answer to our problems from the pages of the Bible. Decisions, specific decisions like what job should I do? What will I do after school? Should I get a credit card? Should I get married? Um, will I go overseas for a holiday? Um, will I rent or buy a house? Where will I live? What should I get vaccinated? Um, and how can I help out at church? The specific answers to many of these questions come from having both a sound knowledge of the scriptures and the benefits of experience. And if we're younger or younger in the Lord, it's very likely that this wisdom will come from another wise Christian whom we trust. According to the book of Proverbs, we can learn a lot from this world. It's mistakes, it's stupidity, it's cleverness and it's wonders. It would be dishonoring to the maker of this world who is all wise to ignore it when he says, go to, the, go to my world and learn from it. So what can we learn from the ant? Have you ever watched an ant carrying a crumb many times its size? Have you ever thought about how that ant got that crumb? 
how it's come and traveled from a nest meters and meters away with pinpoint accuracy through the ground, across the garden, through a crack in one of your walls, across the floors, up the leg of a table. It finds the crumb, grabs hold of it, and then starts deftly carrying it all the way back across the table, down the leg, across your floor, and you step on it. And if it's like me, you'll probably get the mortine and make sure that you clean up the last pockets of resistance and leave ant traps and ant sand all over the place to make sure that it never happens again. But despite the fact that we find ants annoying, God tells us to consider the ant. And it tells us that it has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers food at harvest. Among the commendable attributes of the ant are that it works with purpose, without supervision, and it is able to contribute to the future needs of its colony. It also works at the right time. It finds food when it's plentiful, so that it will have food and food stored up for when it is not. I find that the lessons that God intends us to learn from the ant are almost so obvious, I hardly need to outline them. Mankind is clearly designed to work, and we should work diligently so that we can feed our families in hard times and in plenty. We shouldn't expect others to carry us um, if we can work ourselves. We should be keen to contribute. Now, of course, this doesn't just apply to paid work that we have in our jobs, because some of us can't work for a whole variety of reasons, and under those circumstances, of course, it's appropriate to be assisted. But uh, during this week, in reading this passage, I've been thinking a lot about what is work. And I think the conclusion I've reached is work is something that you do for someone else in either a paid or a voluntary capacity. And more often than not, it's work that we do with others for others. Mothers and fathers work hard for their children, keeping them fed, clothed, educated and entertained. Volunteers like youth workers, bush firefighters or SES um, work for the safety and well-being of our community. Um, in paid employment, we obviously work for the boss or the organisation that employs us. But even those of us who have their own businesses are actually working for our eventual customers. All of us, employed or unemployed, paid or unpaid, volunteered, or voluntary, all of us have work to do. The Bible advises us not to be lazy, but to work diligently so that we may have security. Or as the Bible says, if we don't work like the ant, poverty will come on us like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Um, there is also, of course, work that we do to support each other at church and in spreading the gospel. Now we can learn a number of things from the ant, but I particularly want to offer some practical advice from the ants about the times in which we live. Ants do their work as part of a community. They belong to a complex community where various types of ants have different jobs. And somehow this amazing way in which all the work they do gels together to form this amazing colony which reproduces itself and continues in amazing harmony. You know, there's a passage um, in the New Testament where Paul talks about the church as being like a body. He might well have said, consider the human body. 
and he then talks about how all of its attributes work together in amazing harmony. But right now, we can't attend church because our government has ordered us into isolation to prevent the spread of coronavirus. We can't leave our homes for anything other than essential work or shopping or exercise or to get medical attention. These restrictions, of course, are frustrating, but they're necessary. Extreme times have called for extreme measures. Staying home saves lives. But while our homes may be places of physical safety, they're also places of spiritual danger because frequently, more often than not, sin thrives in isolation. As the preacher of the book of Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. If either falls, his companion can lift him up. Our great danger in this prolonged period of isolation is that we can fall into sin because we're no longer working side by side and supporting each other. Zoom and live stream church cannot replace the weekly rhythm of physically gathering, gathering together as a church. We can't even meet brothers and sisters in order to pray for things together. The loss of our daily routine and structure to our lives can reduce the discipline to fight sin and pursue holiness. The loss of our ability to gather can leave us less able to deal with sin and more vulnerable to the attacks of the world, the flesh and the devil. In isolation, it's all too easy to both hide our sin and to feed our sin in secret. We can get very used to all that spare time and be tempted to think, well, look, I really don't physically need to go to church when I can knock church off in a few minutes on my iPad, lying in my bed, sipping tea with toast. Good as that is, isolation disrupts our daily routine and destroys our personal discipline. Over the last few months, surveys tell us that Australians have been exercising less, drinking more and sleeping later. The warning of Proverbs 6, 9 to 11, has never been more relevant. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on us like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. It makes, it's common sense. Our, the routines we've established out of isolation are just common sense. Yesterday, I was listening to my friend, John Brogdon, who was telling, who was telling the community um, in, at a press conference that routine is a really important way to continue to keep strong mental health, just like the ant does, the absolute machine of routine. So the, the, what the Bible is saying is just good sense. In 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul describes the church as God's temple, which is marked by holiness and cleansed of sin. Indeed, later in the letter, he urges the members of the church to come together and root out sin amongst its members. In this sense, the gathered church, as we usually are, is ground zero for our daily sanctification. It can be really disheartening to have church life stripped back to an online service and a midweek Zoom Bible study. Zoom fatigue soon takes its toll and few find the motivation that we need by plugging into the artificial reality of an online church. Now I say these things not to make you feel bad, 
but to encourage understanding because these feelings are very real. I feel them too. There seems to be something more soul sapping about this lockdown than the one we had earlier. You don't have to feel ashamed for thinking these thoughts because they're happening to all of us. The evil one is doing his work. But friends, we should not give in. We must look, we need to double down and fight back. We must look forward to the time when we can all gather together again. That is what normal church looks like. And we are right to feel uncomfortable that we've been denied that. We need to make the effort though, while we can't meet, to stay connected, even though it can take time and trouble and even be exhausting. Without the support of fellow believers, we are trying to fight a spiritual battle all alone. God's prescribed treatment for the, uh, for the deception of sin is the daily encouragement of other believers. In Hebrews chapter 3, believers are told, see to it that none of you has a sinful and unbelieving heart, but encourage each other daily. Even though we can't physically meet, it's still possible to carry one, another bur one another's burdens in some way. In fact, it's precisely because we can't physically meet that we need to make the effort to stay connected as the church. We need more than an internet connection if we're to meaningly, meaningfully help each other uh, at this time. We need to deepen, take this opportunity to deepen our relationships and our mutual accountability. We need to cling to each other more than ever with them we've done before. So it is good to find time to ring each other outside of church and to ask each other, are we okay? And when we receive a call like this, we should be prepared to invest some time speaking to our friends from church. We should not regard it as a burden to spend 10 minutes on the phone with someone from church. Now, I know of one lady in our church who sent some token but really useful gifts to the members of her small group through the post. Um, it was a really imaginative idea and it was a real boost um, to their morale. It, had, it took the opportunity to cement relationships within the church in a way that isn't always possible when we're, not, uh, when we're not in lockdown. Now, I hasten to add, this sort of thing is not possible for all of us. Um, one of the things we need to bear in mind is there are people in our church who have not been working for weeks, and I certainly don't want to pressure anyone into spending money that they haven't got. But that's another area in which we can be helpful. When we know that there are friends who don't have things, we should make some effort to make sure that they're financially okay. Online church isn't the ideal, and friends, we shouldn't get used to it. But in the meantime, we should be doing what we can do to support our friends from church. Now, while on the subject of the pandemic, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes to speak in a practical way about what we can learn from God's world and to get a sound understanding of what scripture and, and practical uh, wisdom has for some of the issues that we're confronting today. For example, the issue of vaccination. Now, I hope I'm not gonna lose anybody at this moment, but I really do wish to express some thoughts in love in order to make people feel comfortable. Now, people, of course, have the right to choose whether or not to get vaccinated. That is something you should discuss with your doctor. However, 
I have noticed in social media there are some misguided Christians have started to spread the idea that anyone getting vaccinated is somehow lacking in their faith. To quote them, what they say is rather than getting vaccinated, we should trust the God-given immune system that we already have. Friends, there is no biblical reason why any faithful Christian cannot get vaccinated. If we apply that logic more generally, that would mean that faithful and God-honouring Christians would never seek medical attention for anything. One of the consequences of sin is that our human bodies have limits. They suffer, they get weak, and they eventually die. Christians have been using vaccines without issue to counter threats of health by a host of diseases like polio, whooping cough, measles, rubella, TB and so on. COVID-19 is no different. If your doctor advises you to get vaccinated, there is no biblical reason not to do so. In the last couple of lines of 1 Timothy chapter 5, 23, Paul gives Timothy some common sense advice. He said, stop drinking water only and use a little wine instead because of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Um, now, we have no idea today what Timothy's medical condition was, but Paul is clearly suggesting that Timothy should use some sanctified common sense in looking after his own health. Paul didn't tell him to just press on and ignore it. He didn't suggest that Timothy was lacking in faith because he was feeling ill. He was effectively telling him to consider the information that people at that time had as they had observed God's world and concluded that sometimes using wine instead of water was of some medical help, possibly because at that time, wine, unlike water, wasn't as polluted with bacteria. We can similarly conclude that the evidence clearly shows that vaccines are safe and effective. We too can use them to avoid the potential physical consequences of COVID-19. Now, secondly, there have been some misguided Christians who've started to develop the idea that um, because vaccines are developed and tested using stem cells derived from an aborted fetus, Christians using vaccines are compromising the undoubted, clear, pro-life stance of our church. Now, friends, this is a complex issue and it could be the subject of a sermon all on its own. But the short story is this, and I say this only so that people might be informed. Before vaccines can be used on humans, they're obviously tested on animals. But even before that sort of testing, they're tested on cell cultures in laboratories, both animal and human. The doctors who developed the rubella vaccine in the 1960s used the cells of an aborted fetus to create a culture of stem cells for testing the vaccine before it was tested on humans. Now, you may know that rubella is the disease that can create catastrophic deformities in unborn babies if a mother contracts rubella during a pregnancy. Um, it wasn't uncommon at that time, once the link between rubella and birth deformities had been discovered, that women who contracted rubella during a pregnancy frequently and sadly had abortions. The doctor who invented the rubella vaccine took stem cells from a fetus that had been aborted for this reason and created a cell culture for, using, uh, for testing the new vaccine. 
Now, while, believe it or not, this very same stem cells is now used, that culture from the same batch is used to test vaccines. While this cell culture will not last indefinitely, it is used across the world for testing vaccines and will be for many decades to come. Believe it or not, cultures derived from those same cells grown in the 1960s are used for testing vaccines today including the AstraZeneca and Pfizer vaccines used in Australia for fighting COVID-19. Now, I can understand why some Christians have reservations about using vaccines for this reason, but in defence of vaccines, I might say this. It is not true that vaccines actually contain the stem cells of aborted fetuses. They absolutely do not. Um, it's also not true that babies are aborted for the purposes of creating vaccines. As I said, exactly the same culture that was grown back in the 60s is used to test vaccines today. In my view, using vaccines does not in any way validate the original abortion. But I think the situation is similar to the event that occurred in Sydney some weeks ago, when a teenager was brutally bashed to death in the western suburbs, allegedly by other teenagers. The mother of the young lad who passed away gave permission for his organs to be used in transplants. The people who received those organs were in no way compromised by the brutal murder that made the organs available. I think most of us would see that using the organs in this way was a way of making something good come from something that had been quite horrible, in fact, a crime. The brutal killing is just as much a crime regardless of the organ donations. In the same way, the abortion carried out in the 1960s was in no way justified or minimised because of the use of the stem cells. But the use of the stem cells has enabled that unknown infant to have a legacy of good, which has extended for decades and saved the lives of millions. And for that reason, I believe Christians can accept vaccines. So does our Archbishop and the Archbishop of Sydney before that. I serve on the Sydney Diocese Social Issues Committee and we provide advice to the Sydney Archbishop on questions exactly like this. The committee includes a senior lecturer from Moore College, Dr Chase Coon, and he wrote an article which was published in the ABC webs on the ABC News website supporting vaccine. So it's not just my private view. Every mainstream leader of the Christian Church in Sydney recently declared in public that they support people being vaccinated. Those leaders included both the Anglican and the Catholic Archbishops of Sydney and representatives of other Christian denominations, including the Uniting Church. And their views were published in the Sydney Morning Herald in early August. Archbishop, um, our new Archbishop, Kanishka Raphael, said this, Christians would be especially conscious of the command of Jesus to love their neighbour as themselves, and getting vaccinated will help protect others. He went on to say that although COVID-19 reminds us of our mortality, we cannot say that it's a specific judgment of God. Christians are not immune from disease, and we receive the benefits of health care and medical science with thanksgiving to God. So friends, I just ask you that if you're reading this stuff on social media, do not allow yourself to be troubled by other Christians who are saying things about vaccines 
that suggests that it's not right for Christians. In my experience, many of them do not belong to regular Christian denominations supported by strong theological training that we have in the Sydney Diocese. Now, this is a practical application of going to the ant and seeking guidance and information from God's world. We started this morning considering the ant, who teaches us the value of work, which is done with others and for others and working together. So my friends, what I want all of us to do is the next time we see an ant, before you squash it, I want you to remember that it's part of a colony and so are you. God wants you to be diligent in your work in both the world and in supporting our fellow Christians and in spreading the gospel even though we might currently, for temporarily, be in lockdown. And I hope considering the ant and reading this passage in Proverbs will be a blessing to you uh, during this week. It's been a pleasure having the chance to share it with you.